So tonight we want to look at the aspect of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Um, we want to look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We have gone through, we have seen the Holy Spirit described as a person, not just simply as some impersonable, impersonal force or power, but as a person. We've seen the Holy Spirit, or the Scriptures give witness to the, to the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, that he is deity. Uh, we've looked at the Holy Spirit, the types or the pictures of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, the symbols of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, you know, such as the oil, the seal, the water, air, wind, fire, different things like that. We also looked at the Trinity a little bit, and we know that the Holy Spirit is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, and yet he's distinct from them. And uh, so we've kind of reviewed those things. We're going to start, and those were really, in some sense, uh, introductions in some way. Um, tonight we want to get into some more meat of it and look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Sometimes there's confusion and there's thought that the Holy Spirit was not active in the Old Testament. Sometimes we'll look at a verse such as John 7:39, especially the second part of it, which says, well, the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And some people will look at that scripture and say, well, the Holy Spirit was not yet given, so therefore he was not present in the Old Testament. And that is not a correct understanding of that verse. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit tonight, and we'll see the difference, as in some places we'll compare the Old Testament to the New Testament. The age, or as 2 Corinthians 3.8 puts it, the ministry of the Spirit, yes, was not completely introduced yet in the Old Testament. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not complete in the Old Testament. The gifts of the Holy Spirit were not yet completely revealed in the Old Testament. The indwelling work of the Holy Spirit had not come, but the Holy Spirit was definitely active in the Old Testament, and we're going to see that tonight. Um, one of the first verses that the Holy Spirit is spoken of is in Genesis chapter 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, or formless and void. Darkness was over the surface or the face of the deep. And the Bible says, and the Spirit of God was moving or hovering over the face or the surface of the waters, right? And so we have, we have there the very first mention of the Holy Spirit in the Bible as the Spirit of God was moving over the surface or the face of the waters. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more tonight. The, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is different from his work in the New Testament. Um, obviously, we know that the Holy Spirit plays a key role uh, in, the, in, in, our, in our salvation. When somebody comes to faith, the Holy Spirit works in that person as they come to faith. It is the Holy Spirit that brings conviction and causes a person who is an unbeliever to see the truth of the gospel and to be convicted and see their need of a Savior. The Holy Spirit unites with the believer, with Christ, or, you know, by the Spirit of Christ living within them, 
and places him in the church, and the Holy Spirit indwells the believer permanently. Those are, those are you know, those, there's more, and, and we're going to look at this in days to come, but those are some of the key characteristics of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Where we see the Holy Spirit working in the Old Testament is in the empowerment of individuals in the Old Testament, such as judges. You know, you have various judges who ruled Israel. You have prophets. You have even craftsmen, which we'll see tonight. Individuals, even uh, we, we would call uh, rulers, kings, and so forth. Uh, the Spirit empowered these individuals in the Old Testament, but the characteristics of that empowerment is very different than what it was in the New Testament. And so what I want to begin tonight as we begin to look at that is I want to look at the characteristics of the Holy Spirit's empowerment in the Old Testament. And I want to speak specifically about three characteristics of how the Spirit empowered uh, individuals in the Old Testament. And I, I want us to see that what is common with all three of these empowerments, whether it be a prophet or craftsman or whether it be a judge or or Moses or Joshua or David or Saul we're, we're going to see the, the different activities and the different characteristics of this empowerment in the Old Testament the first characteristic of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was that the Holy Spirit was selectively placed upon people selectively placed upon people and the first verse that I had you turn to, which is what I want us to begin with, is Numbers chapter 11 and verse 17. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 17. Now, remember Moses is leading the people of Israel. Uh, Moses is doing all the work. And his father-in-law recognizes that he is going to get burnt out. And so his father-in-law gives him some good advice and says, spread the load around, right? Get some people under you to carry the, the load of it. And, 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 and so Moses is, begins to look at that and do that. And, and here we get, uh, we get to see some of the aspects of how that all worked as far as the spirit and, and, and even God working in all of this and God uh, placing his spirit upon these leaders. Before that, these leaders did not have the spirit placed on them. Before that, they were just, you know, they might have been uh, men of high reputation. They might have been men who were leaders, in a sense, in their different communities or their family groups. But before that, they did not have the spirit placed upon them. But Numbers chapter 11, 17 says there, And I will come down, and I will speak with you there. And I will take of the spirit which is on you, speaking to Moses. I will take of the spirit which is on you, Moses, and I will put it on them. And they will bear the burden of the people with you, and you will not bear it by yourself. Okay? And this this is really just, I want us to illustrate something here, that the Spirit's activity upon people in the Old Testament was highly selective. Initially, it was just upon Moses. Okay, Initially, Moses was the only one 
that the Spirit was upon. Um, and, and, and here we see there that God's saying that I will put my Spirit that is on you, on these other 70, not all of Israel, but on these 70, I'll put my Spirit upon them, and ye, they will help bear the load. They will help, uh, they will help carry the burden of the people. Okay, and it's the same thing in the other aspects of the Old Old Testament. Just as Saul had the Spirit placed upon him, David had the Spirit placed upon him, a prophet had the Spirit placed upon them, and as you go down the line and look through the Old Testament, and you see these different things, and you realize the common, in a sense, the common everyday person or the common everyday Israelite did not have the Holy Spirit placed upon them. It was placed upon a very select few in the Old Testament. Okay? And, 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 and so this is an example of that. And we'll actually see that more as we go through some of these examples. That's why I didn't put anything else as far as really examples of this because as we go through tonight and see these different things, we will see this over and over again as we look at individuals that God selected and placed his spirit upon for the activities that he wanted to carry out through that person's life. But I want us to understand tonight that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was placed upon a select few. Compare that a little bit to the New Testament. Compare that to the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 and 38 says there, and I will come down and I will speak with you there. Oh, no, that's not what it says. Why did I? Anyways, no, no. Galatians chapter 4 and 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth into our spirits the spirit of his son, crying, Abba, Father. Acts 2.38 is actually where Peter, Peter is addressing the people, and he says, if you repent and, and, and are baptized, you will have this same spirit, which you see now poured out upon or being poured out uh, on the day of Pentecost. But Galatians 4 and 6 says there, And because you are sons, God has sent forth into our hearts the Spirit of his Son, crying, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit is available to all believers. The Holy Spirit is available to all believers. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the, you know, the five-fold ministry. It's, he's not just for the the ones who operate in the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been sent forth. If you are a son or a daughter or a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and the Holy Spirit is active in your life, right? Romans 8 and 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In fact, you cannot be saved without the Spirit of Christ. Okay? You cannot be a Christian without the activity of the Spirit in your life. Whereas in the Old Testament, you could be an Israelite and not have the activity of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, you know, because the activity of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was upon a selected group of people. So I, I want us to see that the first, the first characteristic of the Spirit's empowerment in the Old Testament was that he was, it was, he was very selective. It was on a selective group of people, and that is very different to what we see today in the New Testament 
where the Holy Spirit is active or should be active in all of our lives. He is active in all of our lives. Sometimes we just don't recognize him. Okay? He's working all the time. He's speaking to us all the time. Some people say, I don't hear him because you're not listening. All right? That's, that's really what it comes down to. You haven't tuned your ear to hear. Okay? Because he's active all the time. So he was selective. The second one is the Holy Spirit came upon those in the Old Testament. He didn't indwell those in the Old Testament. You can go to Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 36, and we will see God speaking through Ezekiel of what will come. In verses 25 to 27, it says there, Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you because you, uh, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is a prophetic voice of what was going to come when Jesus Christ came and accomplished the work on the cross. Up until that time, okay, nobody was saved like you and I are saved. Nobody was born again like you and I were born again. Up until that time, okay, they walked through the rituals of the law. They walked through the rituals of the sacrifices. They walked through all of these different things that God told them to do. And yes, in a sense, there was an activity of faith, but it was also a forerunner or it was a picture of what was to come. But they were not born again yet like you and I are born again. They weren't made new like you and I were made new. Therefore, the Spirit of God could not come in and reside in them in the same way the Spirit of God resides in us. Okay, um, So he came upon, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon. He didn't indwell them like you, the Holy Spirit has indwelt us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. They looked to the day when that would be possible. They understood that that would come, but they had not come into the place where that was possible yet because... Christ had not come yet, okay? We can see this, some examples of this in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, first, let's, you know, Saul. 1 Samuel ch chapter 10, verse 6 says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be turned into another man. So we see here the Spirit of God, the, the, the prophet, comes to Saul and says, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you, and you will prophesy, and you will be turned into another man. All right? Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9, and as they were crossing, Elijah said to Elijah, ask for something, and I will do it for you before I am taken away from you. And Elisha said, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And what happened? Elijah turns, okay, if you see me going, you know, it's yours in a sense. And, uh, you know, the chariot came down, picked him up, took him off, and, and, uh, and uh, 
Elijah watched and got his cloak, right? By the way, we don't have to ask for a double portion of the Spirit upon us today. Okay? It's unscriptural because we have the full portion of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Okay? I know some people don't like to hear that, but it's unscriptural for me to pray, God, give me a double portion of your Holy Spirit today because I have the Holy Spirit. I know what people are saying when they pray that, but the actual activity of the Spirit is in our lives, okay? Or a double anointing. I, I disagree with those things. And I say that only because this is where a lot of that teaching comes out of, okay? Uh, they weren't walking in a place. You know, it's amazing when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the Old Testament saints and you see the, the things that God did through them and they only had the Spirit upon them and you see what God did and worked through them, and then you think today that you and I have, uh, you and I have, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, uh, and and uh, you know, we don't we don't see the same things that they see. But Elisha's one. What about Samson? What about Samson? J Judges chapter fourteen verse six. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And though unarmed, he tore the lion in two, as one might tear a young goat in two. However, he did not tell his father and his mother what he did. <laughs> I like that little detail. I could just think about mom going home, mom and dad, what'd you do today? Oh, I ripped the lion in half. <laughs> you know. But the Spirit of God, listen, it was only the Spirit of God that gave Samson his strength. I was I was thinking about this a little bit. You know, I I watch and this is a little sidetrack, but I I watch sometimes. You know, you watch sometimes Bible movies, and when they get they portray Samson, they portray him as this gorilla of a man, right? Like a bodybuilder and everything like that. You know what? I I come as I I was thinking about that. I was like, I think Samson looked pretty pretty regular. I think he looked pretty regular. It's just when the Spirit of God came upon him, watch out. You don't want to be in his way, okay? Well, he had long hair, yes, yes, all right? But uh, I, I just don't think that he was like, you know, 6 foot 10, 450 pounds of pure raw muscle that looked like, you know, some big bodybuilder today. I, I mean, he probably had a good physique and all that, but, you know, it's just interesting. I mean, and to tear a lion in two, it has to be the Spirit of God because even a, a grown hulk of a man, a beast of a man, would be destroyed by a lion. Um, so, you know, this. There, we see Samson, the Spirit of God coming upon Samson. There's another one, and you're not going to think of it as an Old Testament, but it is Old Testament, Simeon in Luke. And I say that Old Testament because Simeon was functioning and living under the Old Testament time. Christ had not died yet. Okay, and Simeon died before Christ died on the cross. But in the presentation of Christ in the temple, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 25, it says there, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Okay, and so we have these examples of the Holy Spirit coming upon but at that time, the Holy Spirit could not indwell them in the same way that he can indwell us. 
and I compare that against the New Testament, which we saw in Romans 8 and 9, it says there, Now, and if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Okay? The Spirit of God lives in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, it says there, What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you receive from God, and that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, which are his. Not which are God's, but which are his, which is, which is God's, okay? Uh, so we see in the, in the New Testament, the difference is that the Holy Spirit comes in and resides in us. When you are saved, the moment that you are saved, the moment that you are born again, the Spirit of Christ comes and lives inside of you. And you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he lives inside of you. Interesting, though, there's an interesting fact about this, though, that there is a coming upon in the New Testament as well. There's an indwelling, and there's a coming upon. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay? And we will talk about that more in the days ahead. But there is an interesting idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon believers in the, in the New Testament as well. And the Holy Spirit coming upon believers in the New Testament is very much similar the reason that he came upon the, the those in the Old Testament, and that is to carry out the activities that God has, to empower them for the activities that God has. So we see in the Old Testament the characteristics of the Holy Spirit's empowerment is selective. We also see that it is a coming upon, not an indwelling. And the third characteristic is basically the... Those two serve this one, and that is that the Holy Spirit comes upon individuals for a task to be accomplished. It explains the other two, why the Holy Spirit only selected certain people, why the Holy Spirit came upon certain people. The Holy Spirit selects and comes upon in order to enable someone to do something, such as speak a prophetic word or you know, in the tabernacle being built to such pre pre precision, or in the boldness to stand up against Israel's enemies, or in the ability in the Old Testament to judge people's disputes, or to lead the people of Israel forward, or to have responsibility of the people. Whatever the task was assigned, God enabled the person by selecting them first and then coming upon them by his spirit in order to fulfill the task that he had for them. Um, the first one is in the temple or the tent. And you, you can think about this. You know, often, often we think about the need of the Holy Spirit for, you know, quote, unquote, ministry tasks, right? Ministry tasks, such as preaching or, you know, prophetic or prayer, or, or, or things like that. But here's an interesting one. Exodus chapter 35, verses 30 to 35, it says there, 
and I might massacre some names in here, but just hang in with me. Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, and filled him with what? In wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, in all manner of craftsmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones, for settings and in the carving of wood in order to make every manner of artistic work. He has also put in his heart to teach. Okay? Both he and Oholiab, the son of Ahazamik, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with the skill to do all manner of work as craftsmanship, uh, as designers, as embroiderers in blue, in purple, in scarlet, in fine linen, and as weavers, as craftsmen of every work and artistic designers. Isn't it interesting that God looked at when they were designing and building the temple, God says, I'm going to put out craftsmen, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them the ability, I'm going to place upon them the ability to do the things that I want them to do. Okay? And, and, and so he placed them upon them the ability to, to work all these different crafts, uh, abilities, building, you know, designing, uh, and also to teach, and also to teach the other ones, the other craftsmen who were to be involved in that, okay? And so we see there that the task was to build the temple, and God says, well, in order to build the temple, I need to teach. And so he put the Holy Spirit upon these craftsmen, these specific guys here in this, in this passage of Scripture, to not only know how to do it, but also to teach others on how to do it. Um, Gideon, in Judges chapter 6 and 34, And the Spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon, and he blew a ram's horn or trumpet, and the Abezerites assembled behind him. And he went to, he went to task in that passage of Scripture. You know, it's the same thing in the New Testament. The God, God wants to, we need to be understanding that every aspect of activity in the New Testament, in the church especially, or in ministry, needs to be done by the gifting of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. Isn't it interesting, okay? Because you look at it in the temple, you, you, you look at it and say, well, that's a, that's a natural physical job building, putting up wood, putting up embroidery, putting up cloths, putting up linens, cutting, assembling, etc. That's a natural activity, and God says this is so important that I'm going I'm to enable them to do it properly. It's interesting in the New Testament, God said about the deacons, or, you know, make sure they're filled with the Spirit. You know, these were men who were serving tables, serving tables, and God says, make sure they're filled with, the new, with my spirit, okay? And they were serving tables, okay? You know, um, and so we see here, again, the task that God brought. God would select. God would come in upon to enable because he was calling people to carry out a task. Some of the tasks, you know, as we talked about, prophets. Some of the tasks judges, some of the tasks kings, 
But in this one example, carpenters, you know, craftsmen, and so forth. Okay? Uh, and now let's look at specific workings of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Specific work, workings of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We've read it before, but and we've looked at it a little bit, so let's just review it. The Spirit participated in creation. We saw that in Genesis 1, chapter 2. Uh, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. Job says in Job 33, verse 4, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. Psalm 104, verse 30, When you send forth your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the surface of the ground. And so we see the Spirit of God participated in creation. We often don't think about that because we often think about, you know, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Or and God said, you know, let the birds let, let be the birds in the air and, and, and so forth. And we think about that or, or we think about the fact that God formed man from the dust of the ground. But it also says that God breathed into man the breath of life. The Holy Spirit was active in every aspect of creation, okay? The Holy Spirit strives with man. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. It says there, the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man, for he is flesh, yet his days will be 120 years. God's saying there, my spirit will not always strive with man, which means that there is a place or there is a time when God's spirit does strive with man. Some people say, well, what does, it, what does strive with man mean? One, to abide, but the other one is to govern, to judge, to contend with, uh, to plead the cause. And I think we can see that in relationship to his work in the New Testament when Relating to drawing people to Christ, John 6 and 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Nobody can come to Christ unless God the Father, and it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that does it, unless God through his Spirit draws people to Christ. Okay, So I believe that that is one way that God strives with men, is, is bringing him bringing people to him. Another way is related to the work in convicting people of sin. John 16 and 8 and 11 says, When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I'm going to my Father, and you will see me no more. And of judgment, because of the ruler of this world, uh, because the ruler of this world stands condemned. We see this activity, though, still all throughout the Old Testament, even in the ministry of Christ, we see it taking place and so forth. And so the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, one of the things that the Holy Spirit did was he strived with men, strived with mankind. We talked a, lot, a little bit about it, uh, but I want to review it a little bit more. The Holy Spirit came again upon certain individuals, empowering them for the task empowering them for the task. Othniel, Judges chapter 3 and verse Judges chapter 3 and verse 10 it says the spirit of the Lord came on him and he judged Israel. 
he went out to battle, and the Lord gave Hushan Rishathan, king of Mesopotamia, into his hands so that Othniel overpowered them. Okay? So in this in instance, Othniel was a judge, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he judged Israel. We talked about Samson. How many foxes did Samson catch? 300. All right? Don't tell me that the Spirit of God was not involved in that, right? I mean, have you ever tried to catch one? <laughs> I'm afraid Usain Bolt wouldn't even be able to catch one. <laughs> um, but yes, Judges chapter 15 and verse 4, and again, Samson was a judge, right? Samson was a judge. Samson went out and caught 300 foxes. Not only did he catch them, then he took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each of the, the pair of their tails. Try that one day. Try that with dogs one day. Back them up together, tie their tails together, and light the tails on, or put something on fire between the tails. If you do it, please videotape it so that I can watch. All right? But that would, that would have been something to see. What about David? David as king. David as king. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 12 to 13. So he sent and brought him in, speaking of David. Now he was. Now David was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a good appearance. He was a handsome young boy, handsome young man, right? And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he, speaking of the king. Okay? Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And what does it say? And the Spirit of the Lord came on David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Okay. God anointed David. God placed upon him, his, David, his spirit for David to rule as king. Okay, he didn't rule from that day forward, but God was preparing him for the day that his, he was going to rule as king. What did David say when he really messed up? One of the things, we sometimes sing it. Created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Okay, David knew he couldn't lead the people without the empowerment of God. Okay, what about Deborah? Right, Deborah. Deborah was both a judge and a prophetess in Israel. Judges chapter 4, verses 4 and 6. Now Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophetess, and she judged Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. The children of Israel would go up to her to render, for her to render judgment. She even spoke, or she even sent for Barak, son of Abinadab, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord God of Israel commands you, go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor and take 10,000 men from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun with you. And so she gives a prophetic word, a prophetic instruction um, to Barak uh, and, and tells him what to do. But she was both a judge, you know, and she rendered judgment 
upon the people, but she was another. Also, she was a prophetess in 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 the in the in the in the house of Israel. Okay, so Deborah was also empowered, um, and I bring that in there because you know, ladies, you're included. All right, you're included in that. Okay, um, so we see. In these situations, we're talking about mainly judges and kings. Judges and kings. The Holy Spirit and Old Testament prophecy. This is probably the biggest one. The Holy Spirit and Old Testament prophecy. The Spirit played a prominent role in the whole of the Old Testament in prophecy. David declared in 2 Samuel 23 and verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. Ezekiel reported in Ezekiel 2.2, when he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. Then I heard him speaking to me. Okay? Holy Spirit came upon all the prophets. By the way, in the Old Testament, of which we know, there were about 60 Old Testament prophets. About 60. Yeah, 60 Old Testament that we know about. Okay? There's also mention of other prophets in Scripture. And there were five, five women prophets in the Old Testament as well. Okay? So um, 60 Old Testament prophets, or 65 Old Testament prophets that we know about, that we can give name to, that we can give name to. Okay? Um, there were other prophets, of course, in the Old Testament, and we, we could see that even in the, in the life of Saul when he goes and prophesies. He's with a group of prophets when he's doing that. Okay? It's interesting. You know, people don't like prophecy sometimes. You know, people people don't like the prophetic. And I understand why in some ways today, because sometimes uh, the prophetic today is, is very thrown around very loosely. And some there's some, you know, hokiness to some prophets out there in that they are, you know, they seem to be able to come up with a word at all times. Or they come up with some crazy words and, and so forth. But there's also people who don't like the prophetic because they're scared that the prophet's going to reveal something about their life. <laughs> the prophet's going to reveal sin. The prophet's going to bring rebuke and, and so forth. And so uh, when we get into the gifts of the Spirit, we'll talk more about the gift of prophecy. But the, the, the prophecy, prophecy is an important aspect of Scripture. Um, I was thinking about that today a little bit when I thought of the scripture that Paul said to Timothy, do not, do not forsake uh, the gift, you know, that you have that came on through the laying on of hands and a prophecy. It came on his life by the prophetic, by laying on of hands and by the prophetic. And so the, there is a need for the prophetic uh, in the church today for that for one, for one of those reasons is right there. But did you also know that in the Old Testament we see even the different gifts of the Spirit displayed, mainly displayed through the prophets. For example, healing. Uh, healing, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10 to 14. Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be returned and cleansed. Well, Naaman didn't like that. 
We know that. Complain and all that sort of thing. And the servant kind of said, well, if he told you to do something great, you would have done it. Now he's told you to do something you don't like. Maybe you should listen to him. So basically it ends up in verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh returned to the flesh of a little boy, and he was clean. Okay? So we see here healing worked uh, in, in the, in the, in the, through the life of the prophet here in the Old Testament. What about another one? Rain. Samuel. First Samuel, th this would be a gift of miracles, if you want to say. This would be a miracle. And the next two ones would be actually miracles. First Samuel chapter 12, verse 18. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Uh, you know, because Samuel had the voice of God. Uh, God listened to him. And... Uh, did what Samuel asked, and Samuel said, send rain, and rain came. Um, the sun and moon standing still, Joshua 10, 12 to 14. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites to the children of Israel, Joshua spoke to the Lord and said, in full view of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the, val in the valley of Hajilon. So the sun stood still and the moon stood in place and the peep, until the people brought vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stood still in the middle of the sky and did not set for, a, for about a full day. There has not ever been a day like it before or after it when the Lord obeyed a man for the Lord waged war for Israel. That's pretty impressive. I mean, you really want to get to it. That's That's... Can you imagine that basically, you really look at it in the way we know how the universe works. In a sense, it, the universe stood still. You know, stood still for a day. However God did it, uh, but that's, that's an incredible one. Okay? But worked, worked through Joshua, and Joshua was a prophetic voice in the Old Testament. Okay? He was not only just a leader of Israel, but he was a prophetic voice in the Old Testament. What about the Shunammite son raised from the dead? 2 Kings 4, verses 32 to 35. When Elijah came into the house, he saw that the boy was dead, lying on his bed. So he went in and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. He went up and lay on the child, putting his face on his face and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. Then he bent over the child, and the child's flesh was warm. Then he got down, walked once back and forth in the house, and went up and bent over him. The boy sneezed seven times, and the boy opened his eyes. But we hear, we see here through the through the prophet, the raising of the dead. Again, another miracle, uh, and probably a, uh, also a healing, because we don't, we you know, the boy died from something in the first place. Okay, so again. We see that the Holy Spirit, none of these could take place without the activity of the Holy Spirit present and working through the individuals that are mentioned here. You know, whether it be Elisha and raising the boy, whether it be Joshua and the sun and the moon standing still, or Samuel and the, and the rain or the healing and Elisha, uh, none of these could take place. Um, but the Holy Spirit and... and, and worked in the lives of these prophets. And we'll see even the prophetic ministry in, in just a couple of moments again. 
as we look at really uh, one of the great activities of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit inspired holiness in Old Testament believers. The Holy Spirit inspired holiness in Old Testament believers. Psalm 143 and verse 10, it says there, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me onto level ground. Okay? So the psalmist is talking about how the spirit will lead your good spirit, uh, leading them onto level ground, walking in the ways of goodness, walking in the ways of righteousness, walking into the ways of holiness, walking in the ways of God. And we know that, as we've read it before, the Spirit or the Scripture promised that one day this would be in them and that God would cause them to live out according to his statutes, live out the, the statutes that he has for them. When he says there, I'll put my spirit in you, and you will walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments to do them. Okay? Even, even, even in some of the prophets, when the prophet talks about, you know, cleanse my, 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 my mouth or cleanse my tongue and, and so forth, these are all them recognizing the need, you know, or, you know, taking the, the coal from the altar and putting it on my tongue for cleansing. Uh, it, it's all activities of the Spirit of God working in the, in, in the individuals of the Old Testament. Those are all wonderful. And great, and obviously God needed to do that. But the ultimate reason for the Holy Spirit work in the Old Testament was it was crucial in helping God's people anticipate the ministry of the Messiah. Ultimately, all of these things were to point to Jesus. Ultimately, all of these things were to point to the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. Okay, Everything that God did in the Old Testament was setting up for the coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, And so that is, that's where we look at tonight and we close off this passage or this section by looking at this. An example, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. You know of the, the branch or the stump or the stump of Jesse or the branch of Jesse. It says there, and there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its, his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. What is it? The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He shall delight in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eye sees, neither reprove by what his ears hear, but the righteousness he shall judge for, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and reprove with fairness for the meek of the earth. He shall take the earth with the rod, or he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Obviously, the branch of Jesse is Jesus Christ. Okay? Isaiah is talking and giving a prophetic voice to the coming anointed one, the Messiah, the coming anointed one, Jesus Christ. He was looking forward to the ministry of Jesus Christ, and he even inspires the prophet to speak and say in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, which, which, 
which we just read, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and talks about how he will be endued with wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord, righteousness, and faithfulness. And if we look into the New Testament, we see the, this prophecy being fulfilled. This in Isaiah chapter 61 in Luke chapter 4 and 18 and 19 where Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me, right? To preach the gospel, okay? To open in the sight of the blind, to set up liberty them that are bruised, uh, to open, you know, uh, oh, I just messed it up. But, uh, you know, that, that, is the, that, is the, uh, that is Christ. This is speaking of Christ. The whole prophetic movement of the Old Testament is to anticipate and speak forth the coming of Jesus Christ. Even, even, there's other examples. Let me give you some examples of that. Even Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, when God's speaking to Abram, he says, I will bless them who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth, they will be blessed through you. Okay? Acts chapter 3 and verses 25 and 26, it says there, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed, because God has raised up his son Jesus and sent him to you first to bless you in turning every one of you from your iniquities. Okay? So we see that promise that he made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis come, come to fruition in that all the world, all families, all people have the opportunity to be blessed because Jesus Christ came for all. Came for you, came for me. Amen? Another one, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Well, this was a prophetic voice. This was a prophetic voice speaking of Christ. Because in Matthew 2, 14 and 15, it says there when he arose, speaking of Joseph, remember Joseph had a dream? In that dream, he, he, the angel came and said, move, because king wants to destroy this, this child. So he arose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet out of Egypt I have called my son. Okay. So that was a that was a that was a uh, that was a prophetic voice back in Hosea, the prophetic voice speaking of and giving a revelation of Jesus Christ. Another one, last one, Isaiah chapter forty four, verse three says, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and floods on the dry ground, I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. You know, we know that Jesus talks about this all through his ministry. We know what happened at, we know what happened at, the, at the day of Pentecost. But Jesus also gives this revelation to us just before he goes to the cross when he says, it's expedient that I go away, for if I don't go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will bless you. And your sons and your daughters will, will, will prophesy. And your men and your old men will have dreams and visions. And, and we will see the spirit of God poured out upon all flesh. All flesh. So what we see tonight as we go through all of these scriptures, and like I say, I'll make notes for you. I'll make notes and provide them to you. What we see as we go through all of these scriptures is the Holy Spirit is very much active in the Old Testament. You know, you can you can see, I mean, the, this is just, you know, in a sense, the tip of the iceberg. We could spend weeks upon looking of the activities, the various activities, the fer- various things that the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament. I mean, think about when the when the when the priest could not stand in the temple because a cloud came in and the presence of the Lord was so strong that they couldn't even stand. Well, that's the activity of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The activity of the Holy Spirit in leading Israel by a, by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The activity of the Holy Spirit on on the mount when Moses went up to the mount, the thundering and the lightning and all of that that took place, or the, or the activity of the Holy Spirit when Moses went to the burning bush. You know, all of all of these things are an act, are a revelation of, of the Holy Spirit and an activity of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and, and so we can we can see that through the Old Testament from the very beginning to when Christ comes um, and and dies and the Spirit comes in the sense of comes and dwells within believers, that the Holy Spirit has been active in everything that God has done. And so we can look at that today.